The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up. Take up your mat, take your mat, uh, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been cured, "It is the Sabbath; it is not lawful for you to carry your mat." But he answered them, "The man who made me well said to me, 'Take up your mat and walk.'" They asked him, "Who is the man who said to you, 'Take it up and walk'?" Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. The Gospel of Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Grace and peace to you this beautiful and somewhat dreary morning. A few weeks ago, weary with grief dogging at my heels, I stumbled across a little book called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse by Charlie McKessie. Rather than a traditional story with a narrative arc, handwritten conversations surround little sketches of the characters in various landscapes. And on a whim, I brought it home and began reading, and it became a warm hug that I hadn't even known that I needed at the moment. And the little illustrated conversations between the characters reminded me in my gut of the way God meets us where we are. In one image, Mole chews Fox free from a life-threatening snare, even as Fox is snarling and menacing. Why? Simply because Mole chooses to extend mercy. And these four little characters share reminders of hope and the way grace continues to find us through community who loves us as we are and where we are, and through cake. Let's not forget cake. And the more I think about it, perhaps this story in John's gospel offers a similar hope. The story of healing in John follows a story that follows a more typical pattern. In chapter 4, a government official who knows who Jesus is and believes in him came seeking for his very ill son, and that son is healed from a distance, and that government's household, entire household comes to believe in Jesus. But this morning's story is a little bit different, and I think John gives us a big gift with this story. In this story, Jesus does the seeking, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for a festival, and near the Sheep Gate, up on the northeast corner of Jerusalem, was a pool called Bethzatha, surrounded by five porticos, which are walkways with columns with a roof over their head. And in the area, many sick people had gathered in hopes of finding healing. And among the many, there was one man who had been ill for 38 years, and the story doesn't tell us how he became ill. We don't get those details. But 38 years is a long time. That's like 
almost all of my lifetime. But Jesus sees this man in a crowd of folks hoping for healing at the pools, and he knows the man had been waiting a long time. Perhaps he even noticed the man's deep loneliness. And Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? And perhaps the man at the pool was a bit like Eeyore, as he points out the reasons it won't happen instead of expressing hope for what could. And I find it interesting that his response, noting that inability to be healed, reveals the way he's been abandoned by community. There is no one to help him. And what I mourn from this story is that John never lets us know if the man actually finds his way back into community. We're left to wonder. The man avoids his question, or Jesus' question in his response, but I wonder what the man was thinking. I mean, a person doesn't go to Cardigan Donuts or Valley Pastry, stare at the donuts in the counter right in front of her without some degree of wanting to leave with a donut. I wonder, too, about showing up at this place of healing for 38 years. He's still there, even without a person to help him, and after having been shoved aside for someone else for so many years. Is Jesus perhaps asking an obvious, but yet vulnerable question? Maybe this response is the most polite he can be, this man can be, with a stranger who asks what may be a silly question. And I wonder if it felt safer to name the obstacles instead of the longing, especially with a stranger and after so many years of struggle and being left behind. Plus, there's always the risk of getting that unasked for advice on the ways the situation might be your fault or could be fixed if only you did X. Never mind all the things that you have already tried. But I also wondered this week, where am I so focused on the reasons that something can't be that I'm afraid to even dream big, much less move toward that dream? Or where would I rather pretend everything is fine where it is anything but fine? Where am I afraid to name the deep longing in my own heart? But back to Jesus' response. In response to all the reasons being made well can't happen, Jesus just tells the man to stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And I love what Pastor Joel pointed out, that perhaps taking up the mat wasn't the burden that it should have been seen as. I think that's really important. The man does, he stands, he takes the step, he participates. And I think this is the kind of hope that I need right now the kind that requires even just a small step of action. And I wonder, what is that step of hope you're invited to this week? And lean into it. When he begins taking his steps, John gives us a crucial detail. That day was the Sabbath. Taking a few steps, perhaps caught in a few uncertain wobbles, maybe a bit like the moment in the Pixar movie Soul where 22 is walking in a body for the first time, he doesn't notice Jesus slipping away in the crowd. And just as he's taking steps, he's getting scolded by the Jewish leaders. Quick note, when John talks about Jews in his gospel, he's usually referring to the Jewish leaders, not just everybody in general. But he's quickly getting scolded for carrying a burden on the Sabbath when he's supposed to be resting. No celebration, no excitement, just you can't be doing that, and who told you that you could be doing that? 
What is it like to finally experience the wonder of recovery after 38 years, this moment that you have been waiting for, and be first confronted by your community leaders that are mad because you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And you don't even have any idea who healed you. Just that the stranger made you well and told you to do something. And perhaps that someone with enough authority to heal had enough authority to tell you to carry a burden on the Sabbath, which Jesus will make that point about himself later. Perhaps the man feels a little trapped between authority figures. Maybe sometimes you feel trapped between one of your two parents ping-ponging back and forth. Later, Jesus finds him again and says, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And in case you need a reminder, meeting opposition after taking those first steps of hopes doesn't necessarily mean that that's a sign that you should quit right there. But I wonder if that reminder to stop sinning is less about perfect performance and more about the way sin vandalizes that wholeness that we and the whole earth were intended for. And I lean towards thinking that Jesus wants the man to experience the fullness of life rather than issuing an ominous threat. Because for John, fullness of life is found through trusting Jesus, and that's what his whole gospel is about. And after this last encounter with Jesus, the man goes and reports to the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. I'm reminded here of the fox threatening the mole, trying to help him back from that book I mentioned at the beginning. John doesn't tell us what intentions the man tattles with to the Jewish leaders. Did he intend to get Jesus in trouble? Did he intend to set the record straight? We don't know. We can only speculate. John's more concerned with telling the result, escalating tension between that leadership and Jesus. But Jesus doesn't withhold mercy, even as that mercy will cost him in escalating conflict. And it's really tempting to point fingers at the Jewish leaders in John's story, but I think there's also a question here for me as a white woman. Where might I, like them, be missing what new thing God is up to in the world when I'm worried about my comfort first? Where do I need to reach for curiosity and humility instead of doubling down on good, right, and innocent? And after all, the Jewish leaders thought they were in the right defending the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath is a good thing. It reminds us that we were made for something other than the cycle of production and consumption. Sometimes the important things I am defending make me miss a bigger and more important picture. And our story ends here, right as the conflict with Jesus and the Jewish leaders heats up and the man disappears from the story. I would like a few more answers from John for my peace of mind, but John has moved on. John's point in telling the story is nudging his audience toward Jesus. Jesus extended mercy because that's who Jesus is. Mercy is a feast that Jesus hosts, and it's not a feast for the worthy, it's a feast for the hungry. As Rachel Held Evans said, all are welcome. And when we might be tempted to think that mercy is earned by our eye or striving for perfect, the story reminds us that Jesus comes to us, loving and extending mercy, whether we recognize him or not. And Jesus decides love is worth it, even if it stirs up trouble later. The man was healed without even knowing who Jesus was, much less professing belief. 
we are held in grace, whether we can recognize it or muster up gratitude for it in the moment. Mercy does find us, and sometimes it comes from the people we were least expecting, the basket of banana bread muffins and a puzzle that showed up on my doorstep the day of a big loss in our family, the phone call from a friend that came unexpectedly, the book I pick up on a whim that turns out to be the kind of hug and encouragement I wasn't even aware I needed, the tears that sprung up when I found myself surprised by a rush of joy when JC and Angela were singing Holden Evening Prayer on Wednesday night. I had forgotten what joy felt like in the midst of this long pandemic winter. This week, may God's mercy find you and remind you that you are seen in the waiting and in the season where hope is beyond you. May you be reminded that you are not alone, that you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. Amen.